And welcome to the Battle Round on a gloomy Saturday here in Baltimore. But we're not gloomy, are we, Zach? We're not. Uh, you know, much uh, nicer week last week when we came in to do the show. But, you know, you didn't like the cold last week, so you got a little bit more heat today. Yeah, it's been a, been a, been a warmer week, but now we get the, the rain that comes along with fall here in Baltimore. That's all right. Beggars can't be choosers. We did get a nice Ravens win last week to have the team go to 2-0 before this Monday's Big week three matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs, but this is a baseball show, so we're not going to talk about that until probably five minutes left in the show because we have to. Um, with that being said, rough night for the Orioles last night, to say the least. Um, before the bats even got going in the fifth inning, they were already down 10 to nothing. Ended up losing that ball game 10 to 5. Did get three home runs. Uh, Urias hit his first major league home run. Iglesias with his third home run in the last eight games after going homerless in his first 30. And Cedric Mullins also homered his third, I believe, of the season. Maybe his fourth. I can't remember. I think it was his third. Uh, he went back to back with Urias in, the, in that uh, fifth inning to get the Orioles on the board down 10 to 2 at that point. Again, they lose the game 10 to 5. One night after collecting 13 runs on 18 hits. What happened with last night's game, man? Jorge Lopez, not very good. Two innings, eight, eight earned runs on nine hits. It seems to be the Orioles in general that they will have a game where they'll score 13 or 14 runs, and then the next day they come out and score one or two. That's just how the Orioles have kind of been in the past few years. I think they beat the Indians 13 to one twice in a row. 13 nothing. 13 nothing twice in a row in 2019. So that was like the one time the Orioles actually had a consistent uh, game where they scored a bunch of runs over and over, but. Yeah, last night, just nothing really was going right for them. It started to seem like they were coming back. I mean, it looked like they were there, and then, you know, the back-to-back shots, but just didn't really happen. Being down 10-2, to it's really, really hard to come back from that, and the Jays were pitching pretty well, so, you know, it is what it is. Jays are a playoff team, but, you know, it was a nice rally, I guess, there, and guys who don't have a lot of power decided to hit some home runs, so I'll take it. Yeah, man, uh, ten, 10 to nothing. Tall, tall order to expect a comeback in a game like that. But uh, Orioles gave it their best shot. You know, they scored five runs in back to five plus runs in back to back games for the first time in I don't know how long. That was nice to see. That we all know the Orioles bats have gone pretty cold uh, in the season's final month. Uh, some some injuries. Some guys who just aren't used to playing at the big league level kind of coming back down to earth a little bit. Uh, you mentioned the Blue Jays and how they're a playoff team, and I look at, at this. Uh, I look at that at that squad, and the last time they were in the playoffs before this year was 2016. Same thing with the Orioles. We all remember how that went. Uh, Zach Britton remembers how that went. Um, and I look at it, and I say, the Blue Jays, they kind of went through their own little rebuild, but they got through it faster than the Orioles. Now, they kind of rebuilt or retold, really, while they were in contention. And you look back on this team, and they drafted Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio in the second and fifth rounds in 2016, respectively. They signed Vlad Jr. in 2015 during the international signing period. Same thing with Lourdes Gurriel in 2016. This was just a good a good use of resources and a good use of draft picks to retool and ensure that it wasn't going to be a 
five to seven year rebuild. It was going to be okay. We're gonna we're gonna take our take our bumps for a couple of seasons, and then we're gonna get right back to being competitive. They add some some quality free agent pitching to their staff, and the next thing you know, it's 2020, and even in a truncated season, the Blue Jays find themselves back in the playoffs. It seems like the Blue Jays really did a great job building up their farm system, but not only that, they had the luck in having most of their guys in the farm system work out. You know, you, you talked about four of their top guys now were, were drafted or signed in 2016, and they've all worked out to be pretty good players at this point. You know, that's, that's something that all rebuilding teams want to happen. Obviously, the Padres, I think, have had that happen at this point. The Orioles, probably two years down the road are going to hope that that happens guys working out is never guaranteed so for for the blue jays to have all of these guys who have really worked out and then nate pearson's another guy who's just come up and's pitching well and it's just a really really solid rebuild but like you said more of a retool i guess you could call it because they didn't really have in a, a really long losing period yeah and you didn't see them have you know when, when you have those rebuilding clubs like uh like it was the cubs and the astros that the orioles kind of used for their blueprint uh the cubs astros orioles you know several or at least a few hundred lost seasons thrown in there the blue jays never went through that some 90 lost seasons some 95 lost seasons but they never really were down and out and now they're right back in it and this is that's a team that's going to be in it for a long time they've got some good young players on that squad uh i still i'm still not sold on the fact that vladimir guerrero jr and i hate to say it this way but i'm going to i'm not sold on the fact that he won't eat his way out of the league uh, like like a dimitri young another another dude who was a great hitter but just he he ran out of positions because he kept gaining weight and when you get to a to a certain size you just you, you can't play the game anymore and i look at vladimir guerrero junior and he's a young guy he's what 21 22 years old really young guy really early in his career but you tend to see players get bigger if they're if they're going to put on weight you tend to see them get get bigger rather than smaller as their careers progress and i look at at a pablo sandoval anyway this show isn't about weight watchers or anything like that we're not we're not going to fat shame vladimir guerrero junior here i just you know i think it's good for baseball if he has a long and productive career like his father did and i feel like he needs to get out of his own way yeah, I mean, I think early in the season when they played the Orioles, we kind of saw where the, the problems for Vlad Guerrero were, and a lot of people were citing his bat speed being kind of slow, and obviously we know about the defense. It's not very good, and he's a truck out there. The guy right. can't run. He really can't throw. He's kind of a defensive liability. You look at a guy like Ryan Mountcastle, and you hear about how he's such a defensive liability. Vlad Guerrero is twice that, three times that, and you know the Blue Jays are going to have a tough time always finding a spot for him to play in the line up whether it's dh or first base you can't really play him at third because he's going to kill you over there so vlad guerrero is a good player but he might have to lose some weight or, or get his body in shape a little bit if he wants to become the great player and take the next step well yeah natural talent only takes you so far and then you actually have to put in the work to get better so but you mentioned ryan mountcastle i actually think his defense has been good this year it hasn't he i, I He's not a guy who's going to make a diving catch in the gap over his shoulder, right? But he's made all the plays he's supposed to make, and he's thrown in a, a spectacular play here and there. His arm has looked good. When he's had his, his limited action at first base, he hasn't hurt the team at all. So I'm a, Ryan, Ryan Mountcastle is a guy who keeps himself in shape. He's an athletic guy, and it allows him to do things that we didn't think he could do because he's just an athlete. So... Uh, 
we talked about the Orioles, their loss last night, and it wasn't a good one. They were out of it before it really ever even began. But I want to talk about the game on Thursday night. The, the Thursday night game was it was a really, really solid game. Orioles win that game 13-1. to Alex Cobb, seven innings pitched, one earned run. His last two starts to end the year, 13 innings pitched, three earned runs. His first start of the year was against the Red Sox. He got a win. His second start of the year, his, his last start of the year, was against the Red Sox. He got a win. Those were his only two wins of the year. First start, last start, uh, bookending his season with two wins uh, against against the Boston Red Sox. And he's really doing himself a favor and the Orioles a favor going into next season, kind of solidifying a back-end spot in that rotation. Yeah, if you're an Orioles fan, I get it why you would not like Alex Cobb. There are a lot of Orioles fans who have a lot of disdain for him because he makes a lot of money and he hasn't really lived up to the contract the Orioles gave out a few years ago. But at, remember, at the time, the Orioles really didn't have any better options in the rotation. They, they had Chris Tillman and they had Andrew Kashner, but it wasn't a great rotation and they really needed Alex Cobb. Uh, you know, Fast forward to now, Alex Cobb has pitched more innings than any other Oriole this year. So, you know, you're getting consistent starts, pretty good starts at that. And, uh, you know, he's, he's obviously not living up to the four-year huge deal they gave him, but he's been solid enough to, you know, solidify a back-end spot next year. Well, and you look at Alex Cobb, he really only had three or four starts where the where he kind of took the Orioles out of the ballgame. For the most part, he kept them in it. He, he, he'd go five innings, five and two-thirds. A couple times he got into the sixth, a couple times he got into the seventh. Um, but he didn't hurt the ball club as much as you would think based on how people talked about him. And I think that Alex Cobb, if he's pitching third in your rotation, fourth in your rotation, that's a good arm that can go up against most go- most teams, number threes and number fours. And when you think about the fact that then on top of that, you're going to have John Means, Keegan Aiken, and, and uh, Dean Kramer in that starting rotation next year, it's something to get pretty excited about. Another thing to get excited about is... The Orioles' five through eight hitters in that game on Thursday night, 12 for 19. They had six RBIs. They had 11 runs scored. 11 runs scored in the five through eight uh, positions in the order. Urias, seven hits in four games since being recalled from the from the alternate training site. Seven for 16, two doubles, a home run, three RBIs, three runs scored. Austin Hayes, 16 for 45, three home runs, two doubles, 10 runs since returning from that rib injury. Those guys are right in the middle of that five through eight slot right there. Uh, Arias, why haven't we seen him all year? Now, I get it. Andrew Velasquez could play the outfield too. Arias is strictly an infielder, strictly basically a middle infielder, but there is plenty of opportunities for other outfielders in the system to get some time if you want to have Urias play shortstop, especially with Iglesias missing so much time with the quad and the wrist. Most scouts have said that Urias has a lot of trouble at short, and I think we've kind of seen that a little bit. He hasn't been great out there. Um, He's missed a few balls, and he hasn't been definitely at the Jose Iglesias level. We know that wasn't going to happen. And Velasquez played a nice shortstop. I'll, I'll give him that for sure. There's no problems there. But Arias can just flat out hit a lot better than Velasquez can, and he can get on base. He's getting the hits in the big spots. We complained about Velasquez, and Velasquez eventually got sent down after we complained about him. And then Arias comes up and looks like the guy who should have been here from day one. And and that's a, that's a really nice thing to see. You know, I, I'm interested to see whether the Orioles like him more than Richie Martin because I think they could actually battle for a job next year. I think Martin is the better defender, but I do think Arias has the better bat. So you know, whatever the Orioles decide there, but I think he's definitely 
defining himself, at least in the in the conversation as a future utility guy. Yeah, well, just to be clear, I don't think we had anything to do with Velasquez get, <laughs> getting sent down. I think it was definitely just, not just coincidental. But I mean, a lot of people were calling for calling for his head, so to speak, um, to get sent down to that ATS for the Orioles. Uh, Richie Martin is interesting because you almost forget that he's on the roster or that he's on the, that he's part of the team because he hurt his wrist in the summer r- revamp uh, to get to get things go or the summer ramp up to get things going again. Got hit by a pitch. Broke his actually no, it wasn't hit by a pitch. He was sliding back in the first base, yeah, and and fractured his wrist on Chris Davis's leg. Thanks, Chris. Just kidding. Not going to pile on Chris more than we already have this year. But Richie Martin's a guy who's very interesting. I think he could compete uh, with Hanser Alberto for a second base position next year. Hanser Alberto, you know, it's funny, and, I, and I'm going to talk about this uh, with our guests uh, later today, uh, but. It's funny because I don't love his bat, right? His exit velocity is in the first percentile. It's it's not great. Um, he doesn't get on base a lot. He doesn't strike out a lot either considering how, how f- free of a swinger he is. His defense has been shaky, yet I trust him more than most to get the job done when the Orioles need a clutch hit. I, I just know that he's going to put the bat on the ball and put the ball in play, and oftentimes it's a base hit. I trust him to come through with the base hit. It's probably going to be a single. I'm not trusting him to hit a bases-clearing double or, or a three-run homer when the Orioles are down two. But So it's, it's quite the conundrum for me because I trust him, but I don't trust him. Yeah, I, I think I can agree with that. Um, yeah, he, he's a good player. I, he's an okay player, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, he, he's probably not part of the future of this team, but you know, he, he's he's good enough for now. He gets on base a little bit, but if you look at his uh, WRC plus and his OPS plus, two statistical numbers that you know what show whether he's league average or not. He's not league average. He's, he's a little bit below as far as hitting goes, and he really hasn't hit lefties quite as well as he did last year, and he hasn't hit righties quite as well as he did last year. So he's sitting around two ninety four batting average right now he's not hitting for a ton of power he's fine for now I I think for a rebuilding team he's fine but he doesn't really carry any trade value and I'm not sure how much value he carries as far as the future goes yeah I wouldn't be surprised to see the Orioles unload him for whatever they can get and give a shot to Richie Martin or Mason McCoy maybe even Taron Vavra who hasn't played much above um high a actually I don't think he's played above high a yet but uh you know, th- there's other guys who could get opportunities in the system, which is a nice thing to know. Now, before we continue with the show, I wanted to open the show with this, uh, but we had to talk about the game last night. Trey Mancini finished up chemotherapy this past week. He's put it behind him, and really a great sign for him, for Sarah Perlman, his girlfriend, um, and for the Orioles fan base and the Orioles as a franchise. Really missed Trey Mancini this year. It would have been really interesting to see what the Orioles could have done with Trey Mancini hitting in the middle of their order along with Anthony Santander, who was just voted most valuable Oriole despite missing 23 games when it's all said and done with that oblique strain. So hats off to Trey Mancini for battling and to this point beating cancer. We've all been pulling for you. We're still pulling for you, and we look forward to seeing you in spring training next year and getting you back in this Orioles lineup and see if they can't get into into contention a little bit sooner than we all expected. Um, with that in mind, I do want to tell you all about our show today. We have Stan the Fan Charles with his weekly segment at 1020. We have the incomparable 
John Mioli from the Baltimore Sun, who covers the Orioles for the Sun uh, at 10.50. Then we're going to have Ken Wyman from 105.7 The Fans Inside Access at 11.35, talking about what he saw from the Orioles this season, what he liked, what he didn't like, and what what, uh, he's looking forward to for next season. Uh, We're also going to have our Orioles banter segment, our... Uh, the payoff pitch around the league out-of-town scoreboard. We're going to talk about the playoffs, and, man, I was up till 2.30 in the morning trying to figure out the playoff seedings. It's, oh, my God, it was a whirlwind. It was it was a headache, man. And it's, So we're not going to get into all the the, the possible playoff seeding scenarios, but we're just going to tell you who's, who's in, basically, and who probably will be in. Uh, and then we're also going to do take the rake. We're going to see if Zach... Got us a four-way tie for first place if he fell behind by two or if I pulled up and uh, took the overall lead. We will see that and more. Uh, but right now, Zach is going to sound off a little bit about some minor league baseball. Yeah, so minor league baseball is going to undergo some changes next year. We've kind of heard about that uh, from Rob Manfred over the past couple months, and we've heard about him wanting to eliminate 42 teams from minor league baseball. Now, this is a, a problem in its own, in my opinion. Um, you know, there are a lot of small communities that really, really rely on these minor league baseball teams for revenue and uh, for for a tourism for their their city, and it's it's a really bad thing to take away minor league baseball from the people who live there. It's kind of a problem. And I also see this as a problem for player development as far as teams go. There won't be another level for uh, teams to be able to have their guys go through before they make the majors. So that's the first problem. But then we hear about Rob Manfred proposing this new idea of one baseball. Obviously, this is a a, uh, total reconstruction of the minor leagues, essentially, where they're going to move the minor league offices into the major league offices. They'll be cutting jobs. They'll be cutting jobs, of course, from the 42 teams, but also from the minor league front offices as well. So, you know, this just doesn't really make much sense to me. You know, you're trying to grow the game as much as possible. And we keep hearing about MLB trying to find these younger fans. I think minor league baseball, personally, is a great way to find new fans, especially in these small cities. And you might not be able to afford to go to a major league baseball game. You go to a minor one and you kind of see what baseball is all about. I, you know, I, I, this kind of seems counterproductive to me. Um, from a baseball perspective, I think it hurts player development. All of this stuff just kind of really bothers me. And, you know, I, I'm a person who really likes minor league baseball and I'd like to see it stick around. So uh, it seems counterproductive, but, you know, it, we'll, we'll see what happens. I really hope they, they change their mind. Certainly does seem counterproductive, and you could see a team like the Frederick Keys uh, be impacted by this. They're the yeah. most likely team for the Orioles. Uh, with that in mind, we have Stan the Fan Charles on the line. Now, Stan, how are you today? I'm good, guys. How you doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. Now, Stan, uh, Zach was doing his sounding off segment on the idea of one baseball where Rob Manfred wants to move the minor league offices into the major league offices, cut some jobs. But he also is talking about retraction. And you're going to lose 40-plus minor league teams uh, next year. Now, I know this wasn't in the notes that I sent you last night. I apologize. Kind of going off the cuff a little bit here. That's all right. Don't worry about it. But uh, how do you feel about that? Because if the Orioles lose a team, it's probably going to be the Frederick Keys. What do you think that does for the franchise and for the baseball community here in the Baltimore area? You know, it, it's listening to Zach, he, he made a lot of good points there. Uh, but this commissioner is, um, is hell-bent on changing this. You know, uh, it's, it's really a structure that costs the ownership a lot of money in uh, Major League Baseball, and that's kind of what's behind it, you know. Um, but uh, I, I would 
fall in line more with Zach's line of thinking. I think the uh, the harm that's going to come to communities and where they're going to find their baseball and their love of baseball is is going to be lost forever. You know, it's uh, it's uh, I understand what what baseball is trying to accomplish, but. I think there are other ways to have uh, accomplished it because I think you know the money that's involved. While it's significant, it's it's not really that significant to these people. Yes, Dan, I pretty much agree with everything you just said. Um, you know, I, I think minor league baseball is just kind of the lifeblood of a lot of these communities, and you know, I, yep. I, I think people are really sad to see it go. But also, we have to look at the player development side of everything. And how do you think player development will be affected, especially for the Orioles who are in the midst of a rebuild? Uh, that's that's a that's a very different uh, you know part of the equation there. I mean, I I guess when you look at what percentage of baseball players that play minor league baseball make it to the major leagues, um, I don't think it's going to be that adversely affected. I don't think the product that we get at the major league is going to at the major leagues is going to be that grossly affected by by cutting this many teams. And I'm not sure if, you know, again, I haven't been really following this closely. Um, is it is it a fate accompli that they are still going to knock out 42 teams? I'm pretty sure that, that, that that's, that's the plan. They've been talking about that for yeah. a, a good while now, and it seems like... Uh, Manfred is hell bent on getting this done, so I would imagine that it's one hundred percent in the works. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There, there's another wrinkle to it as well. Uh, Manfred apparently hasn't told the teams yet which team they will be losing, which affiliate. So that's another wrinkle to it that definitely needs to get worked out. Yeah, I mean it's that's a tough road to hoe to to uh, pull the plug on these teams, especially you know, and how are they going to compensate the ownership of the teams? Right. It it seems to me like a like a big mess. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Stan, um, doesn't seem it doesn't seem to be something that should be as high a priority as uh, as they're making it. Yeah, I think they should focus more their attention on the collective bargaining agreement and worry about that. You know, later on. But that's that's a story for a different day. Getting back to the Orioles now, Stan. uh, Trey Mancini finished up his chemotherapy this past week, trying to put cancer in the rear view for him. Uh, all signs are good for him coming into spring training, uh, looking to get back to baseball next year. What does it What does it mean uh, for the fan base, and what does it, Trey Mancini mean to the fan base um, and to the ball club, putting trying to put this behind him? And what does that What does that mean for the fa- for the fans, the franchise, and for Trey? Well, I, you know, on a, on a personal level, you know, I mean, this is, uh, you know. Uh, this is obviously something that uh, is a monumental uh, sort of uh, crossing for for Trey, um, and I don't know how how you you put it behind you uh, until you start testing and finding that you're cancer free, you know, over a period of time. Right. Uh, but but uh, it's a it's a significant personal thing for Trey. Uh, the fans are going to be, you know, pretty excited to see Trey next year. But again, I've I've written about this. Uh, I understand what the team is doing. You know how it's trying to be very careful with its expenditures. Um, but I would sure 
think it would mean more to the fans if the team really got behind Trey and tried to sign him. Uh, I'm not suggesting you, you need to sign him for a five-year deal or an eight-year deal, uh, but I would think that given what he's going through right now, if the club made a, a real effort to sign him for a two- or three-year deal that would keep him in Baltimore uh, beyond you know his, his entry into to free agency, I think it would be the right thing to do. I agree, and I think it would be a good look for the franchise. It would um, really enchant uh, Trey with with the franchise itself. Plus, you're getting Trey as he's entering his prime years, you know, 29, 30, 31 years old. Uh, He could really take off, assuming he's healthy and back to full strength. Yep. I mean, I think it it would have to take two to tango for that. I mean, you know, if you're just just real honest and upfront with Trey, um, and his and his representation, you know, I think you could accomplish an interesting two-year deal that would possibly lead the way for him to really be this leader moving forward with the franchise. You know, look, Trey was a little later starting, so he's all, you know, after what he played three years in the major leagues, he's already at this crossroads. Um, but I think if I just think it would be the right thing to do. I think it's a feel-good kind of story, uh, but it also makes sense on a baseball side. Absolutely. Now, what do you think a contract like that would look like for Trey Manchin? If you're doing three years, are you thinking thirty-six to forty-five million dollars, or are we uh, are we thinking more than that or less than that? I'm I'm probably thinking less than that. Um, that's why I've thrown out the idea of you know sort of um, you know kissing before you go, uh, you know, full full bore on anything. I'm thinking more like maybe a two-year deal. Gotcha. Uh, you know, what did Trey make this year? Seven, seven million? I got Zach jumping on that right now. I don't have those numbers. Yeah, uh, I don't have that number in front of me, but, um, but he, you know, I'm thinking something in the, in the 20, 22 to 25 range, something like that for a two-year deal. Trey was making $4.75 million this year. So, this year, right? Then, in then next year, let's see. Automatically, he's probably going to be—he's arbitration available this coming year, yes. right? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm always <clears throat> when you have the case of an injured player like this, and it is technically an injury, even if it's an illness. I don't know, but somehow he'd probably make—he'd probably make seven million this year. And then you run the risk of losing them the following year. So yeah. I, I'd probably be looking at like 18 to $20 million for two years. And I think it might be something that while normally a player coming off a, a healthy season making $4 million would automatically make in the 7 to 9 range next year easily. Uh, and if he had a, a monstrous year, he might qualify for like $12 million. But given where he's at and what he's gone through, he might say he might he and his representation might think you know that's a pretty good idea you know let me really put the illness behind me and I can concentrate I don't have to worry about what I'm going to make you know while it doesn't set him up for life like a seventy or ninety million dollar contract it's you know a kid his age uh, still at that young an age. It does seem like that's a significant amount of money that would take some pressure off of him. Because, 
you know, we, we tend to assume this is like uh, a guy coming back from a broken leg or something like that. It's vastly different what cancer vastly. does to you and, and how weak it can make you and how hard it can be. And when you factor that into somebody trying to come back from that and be successful at the major league level, while we're confident that Trey can, can do that, it, it just might be one of the components to take out of the mix is him worrying about his future. Well, certainly it would be a, a sign of good faith from the franchise. I mean, and you know, not to be taboo about it, but look, the guy, the guy's coming back from cancer, and there's no guarantee that it's not going to come back. So the the, the Orioles would be taking a lot of risk giving him that kind of money. You would see it as a sign of good faith in Trey Mancini's eyes that the Orioles are willing to do that for him if they are willing to do that for him, and. Trey Mancini just seems like a really genuinely good guy. Doesn't seem like the type that would be driven by money. So you would think that that would be that maybe in his case he would look at that and say, you know what, that's a pretty good deal considering the situation. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of been my thinking on it. And it's I wrote a column a couple of months ago about five things I'd like to see them accomplish before the end of the year, and that was the fifth one. And uh, I I still feel pretty confident that he would. He would react favorably to those kind of discussions. Uh, And look, in this day and age, we we realize that players are going to move around, but boy, what a message that would send to Ryan Mountcastle and uh, uh, Keegan Aiken that, hey, this team, you know, is, is trying to do the right thing, you know. Stan, do you think there was any possibility in the past few years, maybe 2019 or 2018, that the Orioles were possibly shopping Trey Mancini anyway? Or have you heard anything about that? Yeah, I mean, the, the flip side of this coin is is what you sort of look like if this is a guy you've... And look, nobody, nobody's saying that uh, they're, they're, they're duplicitous if they uh, do trade him. Uh, I... I don't think his trade market is going to be real high right now. In other words, <clears throat> you'd be tr- you'd be trying to trade an asset that wouldn't be at a high point right now. So I don't think you'd get back at all what what you get for Trey Mancini if the cancer hadn't happened. You know. Oh, and not to, uh, not and, to mention. And do I think do I think there's a strong chance had cancer not come into this equation that he might have been dealt this summer? Um, depending upon the kind of year he was having, I think there was a high probability that he might have gotten dealt. And I guess I get back to this, not to, to, to bang the drum too too many times on this, is that it just seems like at, your, at, at, at a certain point, a major league franchise can want to keep people like Trey Mancini, yep. uh, who play baseball at that level, and the idea of having a Trey Mancini maybe because of this cancer situation end up being an Oriole for, for his entire career, that's kind of, you know, that would be a really sweet ending to this whole thing, you know. Plus it would but also that's be... That's a ways off, you know. It would be a good look if Trey comes back and gets back to the level he was playing at before uh, yeah. cancer struck him. I personally, that's what I hope for from him because oh, I think he is, he is really like the genuine article. He's really a great, great human being. I, I, well, I think everybody would agree with you on, on that yeah. one. Now, yeah. now getting back to uh, current uh, Orioles happenings right now, the Orioles, 
lost a game last night that they were never really in. They were down 10 to nothing before they even scored a run uh, yesterday in the fifth inning. Jorge Lopez, his worst start, worst outing since coming to the Orioles from the Royals. Um, two innings, nine hits, eight earned runs. He only had one strikeout, gave up a home run. Did that hurt his chances of going into spring training as a rotation favorite next year, or do you think he's still in line to have a crack at that rotation, a solid crack at that rotation next year? I think the combination of what the club is is probably going to outlay in, in any free agent signings this year and the, the timing of the other guys having lost uh, a key season. I'm talking about Bauman and and all those guys that were in line there, you know, to go to, to uh, Norfolk last year. I think he still comes in with a strong chance to make the rotation next year. But I don't think, you know, when you really add up his numbers, uh, didn't I see, well, what, are, what is his earned run average with the Orioles? 634 six in nine right. games, six starts with the club. Right. Now, what would it have been last night if he, pitched five five or six innings and gave up three runs. It wouldn't be like 3.9, right? Uh, that I that I can't tell you. I know yeah, it would probably I, be in the low fours. Right. Um, yeah, you hate to make a determination on one start. Um, they see something in him that I don't quite see. Um, uh, there's something about him that I think he, that's missing. I can't quite put my finger on it. I think he's probably got a better chance at surviving in the Orioles than sort of Asher had. You know, uh, there's probably more of an upside with George than than Asher had. But um, you know, I, I I think again, I think he's a favorite to probably go into camp and have a good chance to make the rotation. But I certainly think they could do better than him. I think the problem, from what I've seen from Jorge Lopez, it's just the fastball command. I, I think he tries to nibble, and then when he gets behind, he starts throwing it right down the middle, and then he just starts giving up, you know, extra base hit after extra base hit, and it just kind of snowballs yeah. from there. So I, I think that's the problem with Lopez. But I'd have to look at more of his analytical numbers to dive deep into it. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not capable of uh, <laughs> diving into the analytics on on George. What really strikes me, this is sort of an old-school take, I, I don't like his pace. I, I, it's just very slow, um, and I think he's going to end up trending where his defense isn't going to play at its optimum level behind him because he's moving so slow. Yeah, yeah there's something to be said for um, having a quicker pace of play. As a starting pitcher, keeps the defense on their toes, keeps them ready to go, and it it, it, get, it keeps the game moving. So I tend to agree with you there. Now, I mean, two I mean, two starts ago, I remember thinking that, and I actually went back on Masson later that night and taped the replay of the game, mm-hmm. and and I I didn't sit there the whole game. It was I think I'm pretty sure it was the Mets game, and. I was counting when he would get the ball back. I was counting slowly to 13 to 15 before he'd release his next pitch. And then when the next start, which was a better start, he um, he it, it changed to like nine, you know, nine and ten, which is significant, you know, yeah. when you're talking about pace of play. 
Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that the coaching staff, the pitching coach, uh, Doug Brokale, uh, Brandon yeah. Hunt, I'm sure that they noticed that too and probably yeah. brought it to his attention that, hey, you're lulling the defense to sleep when you're going so slowly. Yeah. You know, let's pick yeah. up the pace a little bit and let's keep our defense in this. So yeah. now, now looking at that starting rotation heading into next year, you pretty much have four guys who are guaranteed to be in that rotation. That's Dean Kramer, John Means, Keegan Aiken, and Alex Cobb. Uh, Lopez will get a shot at the rotation. Bruce Zimmerman could go into spring training with a shot at the rotation. But do you yep. see the Orioles making a maybe a minor league free agent signing or bringing a veteran in like a Tommy Malone or a Wade LeBlanc to compete for and possibly take a rotation spot early on next year? I, I think they're, they'll be in the market for that. You know, um, what what speaks against that though is the the finances of the team. Don't you know? Uh, and again, I, I'm not privy to that, but I'm sure they've got some reserve there. And again, we're not talking about we're not talking about a five million dollar situation. You know, a guy getting a one year contract. We're talking probably in the you know, 800 to 1.2 million range. I think there's a chance they could bring one or two guys still in. You know. Yeah. Now, speaking of, I mean, I, what they've got there again, it, you 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 can't go. You that's a that's a nice quartet of pitchers, but there's still development issues and there's still health issues. You know, the only one to me. That's a almost a lock that he'd be pitching on Memorial Day without any issues of performance or health is means. You know, I've I've been impressed with Keegan Aiken. I've been impressed with Dean Kramer, and and you know the Cobb. The last two starts of the season for Cobb were were positive, but you know. I don't think they can go in and say, "Hey, that that's great. We got four fifths of our rotation locked." Locked and loaded, you know. So I think Zimmerman and Lopez have a chance to be part of the equation, and it wouldn't surprise me if they if they got a minor league free agent and maybe take a chance on someone else that's coming back from an injury. Remember, the salaries are probably going to be depressed all through the game next year. You know, if you're a free agent going in, you know, a free agent or sort of a, a, an older veteran, uh, there's not going to be an incredible demand for your service. Yeah, I look at the Orioles personally as as buyers of someone maybe a little bit above the level of Tommy Malone or Wade LeBlanc, maybe a, a small uh, major league free agent signing. You know, someone who's not amazing, but you know can give you some innings and can give you some consistent innings and be you know that five or four guy. So you know, I, I think they they're not slated to make a giant move, but they could definitely make a smaller one. I I would agree with that, Zach. Now and I think it would be and I think it would be a smart move to to do just that. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it certainly would solidify a rotation that could be young but talented next year uh, and, and, and kind of give some stability to the back end of that rotation. Now, speaking of signing potential veterans, I haven't been overly imp- impressed with Ru- with Rio Ruiz over at third base this year. I feel like his defense has gotten worse as the season has gone on. He started the season hot, but then the bat really, really cooled off to the point where he's batting below 220 right now uh, on the season. Is Rio Ruiz still the guy at third base going into next year? Does Ryland Bannon get a look? Because we haven't heard much about him at all, and I thought that he was a guy who could get extensive looks at third base if they had a full season this year, 
Or do they go out and maybe sign was another? Bannon, which trade was he part of? The was Manny he, Machado trade. He came he was over. The, he was the other guy in the in the Manny Machado trade. Yeah, and he, he's for all intents and purposes, he's a solid defender, good glove, strong arm over at third base, has twenty hundred yeah. power. Smaller guys, five foot eight, but right. I mean, he, he he can play big. Uh, if he if and he they has. also acquired this guy. Uh, Terrence, uh, or what Taren Vavra. Karen Vavro, you yep. know, in the uh, Givens trade. Yep. I, I think he will get a look, and that's also a, a chance that uh, Rio could be non-tendered, um, and they could t- try and sign a veteran there as well, you know. That, and that's kind of what I was asking, because I, I think that they could try and go in another direction, because I feel like... Rio Ruiz was given every opportunity to really seize that job this year. And he, like yep. I said, he started hot but fell off a cliff there for a good while uh, and just never really – he had his streaks but never really picked it back up to where he was at the beginning of the year. You mentioned Taron Vavra uh, and him potentially getting a look over there. And that brings me to second base for the Orioles this coming offseason. Hanser Alberto – has not been the hitter that he was last year. Uh, did not hit lefties nearly as well this year. Is he still your guy over at second base next year, or do we look to a Mason McCoy, Richie, a healthy Richie Martin, Taron Vavra, or I don't think that they'd sign a free agent to play second base to play at second base. But I think that you know they could maybe go in a different direction within the organization. That's a that's a trickier one because I think I think. We all feel that uh, that Hanser has has been a solid performer. You know, he hasn't been he hasn't been the offensive performer that he was last year. But you know, I mean, I watched it last year, and you know, the exit velocities, and you know, I'm not gigantic on understanding or really detecting that. But you you knew that some of his balls in play really over the course of five years are not going to fall in the way they did last year. So I think it was a little bit of a mirage what we watched last year. But I don't know that they're going to feel that that he shouldn't be on the team. You know, I think with with most of their positions, they're going to be looking to, to be better than they are at the level they are right now, or else they're never going to get to winning. But, uh, I don't know that they're going to take a bite on on several positions. So I would guess that Alberta will be back and would have a, a strong leg up to, to play quite a bit next year. And but I but I'm in pretty much agreement with you. I've watched Ruiz now for two years, and it's it's an it's sort of a nice story, you know, that he shows some pop now that he didn't. But I, I'm more concerned. I, I think you could survive. With a 225 hitting Rio Ruiz, who hit 22 homers and knocked in 65 runs, if if the guy was playing impeccably at third base, right? And I think he's just absolutely terrible at third base. Yeah, it's it's gotten worse as the season has gone on, and it seems like every error he commits is a big one that changes the game. I can think of yeah. two or three off the top of my head where. Without the error, the Orioles win the game, and those are games that they didn't win. His his footwork at third base, and believe me, I'm not the type of guy who could go out and teach it to somebody. Mm-hmm. But I, I can the smell test. It just his footwork is terrible. That's why he's always in such a bad position to make throws, and that's why his throwing is so erratic. It's all it's all a process of his footwork. 
Oh, yeah, and he's absolutely hurrying a lot of throws <laughs> that he doesn't need to hurry this year. Yep. Uh, I think back to that game against the Nationals where the Orioles scored five runs and hit three homers off of Max Scherzer, a game they should have won. And he yep. hurried a throw. He didn't need to hurry. threw it away and it allowed yep. two runs. It's going to cost him the game. He's got a terrible sense. You know that, that phrase you use in sports, he's got a clock in his head. Yeah. You know, it's like a jockey that's running a race. He knows that he's going the first two furlongs in 21 and 3, so he's got to slow it down a little bit. You know, uh, Rio at this point in his career should have a much better understanding of which what his clock is on a play you know and it seems like every play to him is an adventure as to is, is he going to be timing it right or is he going to be timing it wrong you're absolutely right it kind of looks like yeah. he's a little off on on a lot of those plays so now stan before we get a break we're going to ask you one yeah. more question and it's, uh, i'm glad you mentioned that the Orioles are going to try to look to get better at certain positions because yep. at some point you have to put an emphasis on winning. This this team took a big step forward, in my opinion. The, the record aside, they took a yep. big step forward this year uh, with a lot of their prospects coming up, not only coming up, but coming up and playing well, proving that they belong. Mm-hmm. Is there going to be more of an emphasis on winning next year? Not necessarily getting into contention, but being a team that's going to be hard to beat, that's going to hover around that 500 mark and, and put a scare into some teams late into the season, or is it still year three of the rebuild and we should expect 90 to 100 losses? Um, that's a really good question, and that's I'm sure that's what I used to say when people say that's a good question. I'd say, yeah, that's why I asked it. You know? <laughs> uh, um, I, I think there'll be some more emphasis on winning next year. You know, I think, uh, again, the finances of the team are going to drive that a little bit. They have to, they, coming back from a pandemic where, you know, the Cubs came out, a story was on ESPN the other day that the Cubs are expecting that fans are not going to be in full force when the season starts. You know, mm-hmm. it's not immediately like you're going to turn that spigot onto that revenue. Uh, but when but when we do get beyond this, the Orioles are are going to need to be a very interesting team, and I think they've presented you know uh, the, the comeback um, the comeback of DJ Stewart to be sort of a guy who looks like he might really be something. The season that Santander was having, um, uh, Ryan Mountcastle, of course, and the pitchers that came up, and more to come. But I think they really, that's why the question Zach was asking about, uh, you know, uh, certain players and positions, I think is important. I, I, can't, I can't imagine them thinking that Rio Ruiz is going to be a good look on this team. I understand the situations with Chris Davis and his contract, why, why there won't just simply be an out-and-out release because there's a significant amount of money they could save if the season does get truncated next year, uh, that if you release him, you're obligated to pay him in full, um, whereas they might be able to save, who knows, seven, ten million dollars. So that's significant money. Yeah. So I don't think he'll be released until we we understand better if next year is going to be an 80, 80 or 90 game season or a full 162 game season. Right. But I think the team is going to have to rush their look a little bit, um, you know, and and become more interesting. And I think 
we'd all three of us would agree they became much more interesting this year than last year, and that was by nature of the fact that would we agree that last night's game was the, the game you saw three out of six or seven times last year, and I think we'd agree this is like maybe the only time we were blown out of a game that I can remember, like in the first two innings. Maybe opening day we yeah. got blown out, you know, yeah. against the Red Sox. But that, that to me was a huge step forward that this team played in more close games uh, and and battled. I think one of the things I always like to point out that I liked about John Harbaugh was, was that his teams fought hard, whether they were really well coached on the X's and O's. I think the same is, is percolating with Brandon Hyde. I think his teams play hard for him. I think the fact that we're a team even despite the fact we're young, it didn't have a single COVID uh, situation, you know, that was really difficult to handle, uh, speaks well to the leader that Brandon Hyde is, that he he has his players' attention, they take him seriously, and uh, I think he's probably had the best season of anybody on the team save Ryan Mountcastle. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Stan. Um, real quick before we let you go, non-baseball yep. related, Ravens, Chiefs, Monday Night Football. Who you got? I'm, uh, I'm, t- I'm taking the Ravens in this game. You know, I, again, I maintain that they're on any individual game. They're extremely hard to beat. Um, and I know they're playing the uh, world champions, but I'm looking for a really special football game. Um, you know, Monday night. I think it's in the. You know, 27, 24, 29, 27 range. Close football game, but I think the Ravens win the game. Don't know that they'll cover the three and a half points, but I think they will come away victorious Monday night. Oh, I, I hope you're right, man. Enjoy your holiday. Thanks for joining the show, Sam. We'll talk next all right. week, all right? Thank you. Thank you. Take it Bye-bye. easy. As always, I was Stan the Fan Charles joining us on the show that he found it here for PressBoxOnline.com, and that's the Batter Round, which you are listening to. And if you are missing your Stan the Fan fix, you can get it twice a week on Facebook Live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley talk baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein talk to a newsmaker in the sports world. Find both shows via the videos tab at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or at PressBoxOnline.com. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with Dan Duquette, who offered never-before-shared insight about the last decade, while Stan and Gary talked hoops with former Loyola coach Jimmy Patsos. There is no show this Monday night because of Yom Kippur, but on Wednesday, Stan and Gary will have Marty Conway, a sports business professor at Georgetown, talking about how sports has emerged after the pandemic shut everything down. So that's something you will not want to miss. We're going to get a break here on the batter round, but when we come back, while well, the Baltimore Suns own John Mioli. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka profiles potential breakout Ravens star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow South Florida native. Also inside, Bill Ordeen helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba. And Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long term. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. 
Baltimore's favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders' carryout menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891 or visit slidersbaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at Sliders. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate y'all. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major bodywork. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. (laughs) Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Glory Days Grill's Oktoberfest menu is available now. Our fall seasonal menu is available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new chicken schnitzel or the delicious Prussian pretzel rolls. Glory Days is open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. All right, welcome back to the Bat Around. I'm Paul Valley with my co-host Zach Goodman. As always, on the line right now from the Baltimore Sun, we have John Mioli. John, how are you today? I'm doing well. How about you, fellas? We're doing doing well, doing well. Just kind of winding down the Orioles' season here as they approach their final two games of the 2020 truncated 60-game season. How's the season going for you so far, John? I know it's been kind of out there as far as covering the team is concerned. Yeah, you know, it's different. You know, I feel like the home games are as normal as anything is, excuse me, just by uh, the fact that I'm there and I'm, you know, writing about the game and I'm sitting in my seat and everyone is the same around me, but just so much has been different this year. It's really, you know, from not getting to go to minor league games to not, you know, traveling. I'm starting to do the Baseball America rankings. They're due, the top 10 is due in a couple weeks, and I've never flown this blind. You know, I try to see every player, you know, that I can. And usually I'll go into the rankings with a couple people that I haven't seen 
just because the recent draftees or they spent the whole year in Norfolk, but even those guys I've seen a lot before. And this year it's just completely different. I'm, you know, more than half these guys, I just don't have the slightest idea, and it's not a good feeling. Yeah, I mean, definitely a, a scary feeling when part of your job is to do something like that and you don't have the resources to do it. So I definitely understand where you're coming from on that one. Now, the season kind of got off to an ominous start. Back in February, it was announced that Trey Mancini had colon cancer and that he was going to miss the 2020 season. Trey just finished up with chemotherapy this past week. Uh, Have you and the rest of the media covering the team heard anything from Trey uh, about his prognosis and and if we can expect him back at full strength next spring? Um, have not at this point. I think there's still a little bit of time. You know, once these treatments are done, they kind of see where they're at. But the expectation going into all this was that the Orioles, you know, were hoping that he would be back well. It was a pretty good, uh, you know, recovery outlook for for the circumstances of his cancer and when they caught it and how they were going to treat it. Uh, I know that I know that there was a lot of excitement around the end of his treatment last week both with him and with with uh you know with the team and i think that as long as things went the way they're supposed to then he will be back but we haven't heard anything specifically yet gotcha gotcha now um we know that trey has missed a significant he missed the entire season anthony santander missed significant time along with iglesias and austin hayes um if you if the orioles had had all those guys in the lineup for the full season how do you think this season may have looked as opposed to the 24 and 34 record that they have right now? Excuse me, probably a little better. I hadn't really considered that as, as a possibility, but I think that it would have been a little more consistent. You wouldn't have had such long stretches of them, you know, scoring one, two runs in a game for a week at a time and then having these random outbursts. But I also wonder. You know, if, if Trey Mancini's here, how are you getting Ryan Mountcastle here? Do you have those Renato Nunez, you know, home run streaks where where you kind of he just kind of carries you for like three or four games while he's just hitting bombs every day? So there's there's ins and outs to that. I think it would have been a more interesting team offensively for sure because I think what made this team the best at the beginning of the season or made the team its best at the beginning of the season was just the fact that. You, know, you had Rio Ruiz hitting home runs out of like the seven spot or the eight spot. And every time Chancisco was in there, he was working a walk and he was getting on base from like the seven or eight spot. And once Jose Iglesias went down, once Santander went down, you know, once they didn't have Chris Davis kind of pushing those guys to the bottom of the lineup, it was just such a it was such a short lineup. There was only four or five guys that would come up and be like, "Oh, this guy's going to do something," and that's just not a good way to go about things. And I think having all those guys healthy the way that you know, you would have hoped they would have been when this team got together in February would have made that problem a little easier to deal with. Hey, John, it's Zach Goodman. Um, I, want, I want to circle back to Austin Hayes for a minute because obviously he came into the 2020 season as the presumed Orioles starting center fielder. And now, you know, it, it, with Cedric Mullins kind of emerging and a lot of outfield prospects that the Orioles have, what do you think the Orioles organization feels about Austin Hayes at this point after this hot streak? I feel like they're going to kind of, you know, it's, it's like one, one-to-one going into the third game almost. You know, last year, Cedric Mullins, Mullins uh, you know, was the presumptive center fielder, and he got off to a cool start, never really got it going. Austin Hayes came on towards the end and took that job. Cedric Mullins had a little bit of a better showing in Bowie towards the end of the year, and I think they felt a little bit better about where he was ending the season with that. This year is kind of the flip side. Austin Hayes 
never really got it going. Cedric Mullins came up and was, you know, a button fool and just out there, out there getting on base and doing good, doing good stuff. So it's not the worst problem to have to have two guys who you have at one point or another gone into a season with saying you are our center fielder. You are capable of doing this. We trust you that you will produce and you will play good defense. We trust all this stuff. It's not the worst position to go into to say, hey, <clears throat> you know, spring training 2021 may the best man win. I think that might be good for both of them, and I think it might be good for the Orioles. So with Austin Hayes, you're getting to the point where he's only had a few, you know, good, healthy stretches really since that 2017 season when he shot his way up to the majors. So you have to see it happen again. You need to see it be consistent. But but I don't think that the ship has sailed on that happening yet. Well, that, that brings to mind for me, DJ Stewart and we all know the 0 for 17 start with 11 strikeouts to start his season and then you know DJ Babe Ruth Stewart after that hit seven home runs in eight games or whatever it was now the bats cooled off a little bit and his defense John there's no getting around his defense has been god-awful uh dropping routine fly balls taking bad angles on balls hit into the gap and down the line um turning singles into doubles is his defense going to have an effect on whether or not he makes the team next year? Oh, I would say so. I mean, if there are, if there are more outfielders than there are spots, which I'm sure that the, there's going to be the case for the Orioles, if they're, you know, if, if we're still considering Ryan Mountcastle an outfielder and Trey Mancini can get some time out there, and you know, UCL Diaz is going to be on the roster and in the picture, I think it's going to be that's the type of thing where it'll make it really easy for them to say, hey, you know, this isn't big league defense. This isn't. This isn't what a team that's trying to get better and, and and you know help pitchers improve. This isn't this isn't a game we're playing right now with you. So that would easily be a, a kind of a disqualifying factor. But in terms of all these guys, even if you want to go as far as extending this to Hayes and and, and Mullins, if if they're if they don't get the consistency that the team wants, you know, I remember when Joey Rickard first came up, everyone's all excited. I was excited. He was a nice guy. It was fun. It's my first year covering the team, and I had a scout that I know really well basically say, hey, you know, John, this is what fourth outfielders do. That You know, they're good for two weeks, and they put them in for two weeks that you need them, and they'll carry you, but if you need to play them for two months, you're going to see a lot of warts. You're not going to like what you see, and that's basically how it ended up and with Joey Rickard towards the end, and that's kind of how it seems like with DJ Stewart right now. You know, when he's hot, when he's hot you put him in the lineup every single day, but if you're a good team, you have a way to get him out of the lineup when he's not going well. And this team doesn't really have that that means right now. John, what does it say about Yusni Diaz? And you mentioned him. Uh, what does it say about him that we have not seen him this season and now are not going to see him this season? Does he have a shot to make this club out of spring training next year? I fully expected for him to debut this year, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, I think that if this had been a normal season, he probably would have pushed for a debut or it would have been a Ryan Mountcastle situation where he would have played to a level that was worthy of making a debut and, and it would have been you know blatantly obvious why he wouldn't have if it was a service time thing or didn't want to add him to the roster or stuff like that. But I think it's honestly just push. He's not you know old at this point. He's not. He hasn't really shown other than the parts of, of, of his career when he's not healthy that he's not a good player. And I know the Orioles are very excited about what he was able to do down at the Bowie camp. And I think that he's just going to be another person who's in that mix. Now, this isn't a team who said, hey, you know, you haven't had any AAA experience. You're going to be in the big leagues now. You know, when you think about when guys like Dean Kramer and Bruce Zimmerman debuted this year, I wonder if it would have been 
you know, in August or September anyways. And that's kind of the path that you might think that someone like Diaz might be on and all these guys who, who didn't get that experience yesterday. It's like, hey, you got to go to Norfolk. You got to, you have to get these, you know, these, this experience and this data so we know what we have in you and then you can come up. But I don't think that, I don't think that he should be punished for the circumstances of this season. Understandable, understandable. Now, some guys who have been given their opportunity uh, and, in my opinion, haven't run with it. One would be Rio Ruiz at third base. His his defense has been shoddy. Uh, his bat started super hot, like you mentioned, hitting home runs out of the seven hole early in the year. But now his average is below 220. Uh, he'll get hot, he'll get cold, and he stays colder longer than he stays hot. And with that shaky defense, is he still the guy? At third base, going into next year, does Ryland Bang get a, get a, get a long look in spring training? Do they bring in a veteran to push for the, to push for the gig? I just can't see how you go into a third season with Rio Ruiz as your third baseman. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that if they're going to if they're going to challenge Rio Ruiz at all, it's going to be with another Rio Ruiz type. Mm-hmm. Uh, this organization, you know, Ryland Bannon's, uh, you know, a fine maybe up and down guy when it comes to it. I don't think that he's going to be someone who's going to supplant an established, you know, an established big league third baseman. I don't know that Brandon Hyde is going to see someone of Ryan Bannon's stature and, and want to replace somebody who's grown into like a big league man uh, at third base <laughs> with him. It's just not something that, it's just not something that seems like he's going to be terribly interested in doing. But I think it'll be something, it'll be a situation, and there's a few positions where I think this could happen. Honestly, it could happen, you know, at second base with Hanser Alberto. I'm sure that it could happen, you know, it could happen all over the time in the pitching staff, the, the bullpen. If they could get a guy, you know, who falls through waivers or is or has the, you know, the former well-regarded draftee or prospect pedigree that they kind of like with these guys and incomes available on the cheap and they could they could challenge Rio Ruiz that way, I think they might do it. But and maybe you push over also you push over, you know, you get a second baseman, you can have Andrew Alberto, you know, platoon and then all of a sudden Rio Ruiz looks a little different. There's a lot of different options. It's it's really down to to, to who's available. But I don't think the team's gonna be spending money to replace someone who's shown who's been on this team for two years and isn't even arbitration eligible yet when they don't have to. John, uh, Ryland Bannon was added to the Orioles' 60-man player pool on September 6th, and obviously the uh, ATS down there is already wrapped up, but what did you hear about the way he was performing down there? Um, honestly, uh, nothing. I didn't hear anything. He wasn't asked about uh, from Brandon Hyde. I didn't ask in the times that, in the times that you know, I talked to people who were down there. He seemed he was he was a guy. He's one of the few guys who's going to be Rule Five eligible. I think they just wanted to see and make sure they knew what they had with them. Um, but I don't. I'm not sure that he's going to be someone who, who who Orioles fans or the Orioles themselves are going to be going into spring training being like, oh, what do we have? And Ryland Banner, you know, he hits us not out of the ball in the California League, um, and he hasn't done a ton since. He's, he's he he could you know. That's the problem with this alternate site and what they're doing down Bowie. You don't know what people are doing with their swings, what kind of production they're having. But absent, absent, you know, changes from what I've seen to him, I don't think he's really someone who's going to be, who's going to be pushing for a, a legitimately, you know, impactful major league role anytime soon. 
Right. Now, I'm glad that a little bit ago you mentioned that it, that there could be a possible move with second base. I haven't been overly impressed with the job that Hans Alberto has done this year. Um, you're going to get a healthy Richie Martin back next year. Taron Vavra, if he has a good spring, could push for some time at some point at second base. I do look at Richie Martin as more of a utility uh, infielder than anything else at this point in his career. There is a free agent out there, and I, I can't ask you to speculate, but there's uh, Scooter Jeanette. He hasn't played, he didn't play at all this year. He missed a lot of last season with injury, but 2017 and 2018, he had 26 and 27 home runs, uh, hit in, uh, around 290 to 300, and drove in a lot of runs. And that's a guy who, because of the injury and because of the fact that he didn't play this year, could come on the cheap, uh, kind of like a uh, maybe like a Jose Iglesias signing. Is that a move that you could see the Orioles making this offseason? Yeah, you know, I haven't looked into it too much. I'd be interested to find out. We're speaking to Michael Elias this weekend for his season wrap thing, and and obviously we're going to glean a lot from that. But I I truly wonder whether you know there's going to be a lot of money to add any kind of player to the team if the price is right for someone. Sure, I'm I'm guessing that they could end up being you know getting another Iglesias type player just because you know they saw the impact that, that had this year, but. Absent that, I don't know that if there's a if there's a competitive market for anyone, if the Orioles are going to be able to to really splash that, given they're going to be paying, you know, they're going to be paying Chris Davis whatever they're paying him, and they got still have Alex Cobb on the books, and all that money's guaranteed as present day money now, um, because he I believe hit his uh, contract escalator. That means that most of that is uh, is not deferred. So. There's going to be a lot of money on the books, and I don't know how much is going to be coming in. So I think that any kind of free agent signing like that might ultimately have to be an inexpensive one. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, uh, last question before we let you go, John. Jose Iglesias, the Orioles are definitely going to be picking up that $3.5 million option this, this offseason, right? You'd think so. You'd think so. I am sure Michael Elias will be asked that as well um, come, come his season-ending press conference. There's no heir apparent there's no one that you could say we are going to get you know we are going to get the kind of value that that we get from paying you know our best hitter this amount of money on the horizon i think that excuse me what jose iglesias showed and the presence he had on this team is one that's especially in the clubhouse been missing for a long time there's not that type of veteran guy who these guys can look to and say hey you know that's what he's doing, I'm going to do that. There are people who have some of that, but there aren't people who have that kind of pedigree and that kind of cachet. So for that reason alone, I think he was a good influence on a lot of people, and I think that they'd be wise to keep him around. Absolutely, and you can't top the defense. Hopefully he can stay healthy, uh, healthier next year and stay on stay on the defense for over 100 games, uh, playing shortstop. Now, John, I, I believe you have a baby coming in October, right? That's right. All right, man. Well, I just want to wish you good luck and an early congratulations on becoming a new father. Uh, does this mean we aren't going to be hearing much from John Mioli until after the new year? Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to take some time and uh, and be around here and do some more projects around the house. And but um, I think that I think that we're still working out that schedule, and hopefully there will be hopefully there I mean, we'll have coverage from the Baltimore Sun. Nathan Ruiz will be back doing Orioles full-time, and we'll be making sure that whatever's happening, you know, this will be the place that you'll, you'll learn about the Baltimore Orioles. 
All right. Well, hey, brother, good to have you on the show. Congratulations again on the upcoming baby uh, to you and your wife, and hopefully we'll be able to talk to you, if not soon, then in the new year. All right, you have a great weekend. Thanks a lot. You too. All right, man. Take it easy. All right, that was John Mioli, who covers the Orioles for the Baltimore Sun. Really good guy, always does a great job on our show. He's actually been on the show three times now, so really want to thank John for taking some time on a few different weekends to talk to us about the Orioles. Just want to remind you that the, that the Bat Around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you need your fantasies fulfilled? Or do you just need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? Pressbox's own Ken Zalis is the number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country. And he joins Glenn and Kyle every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the Pressbox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio or watch the show and get your own fantasy questions in at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. That's the PressBox Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalis every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by CCBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army, we're going to get a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to you about the rest of the league and about the playoff scenarios. It's a headache. After the break. Glory Days Grill's Oktoberfest menu is available now. Our fall seasonal menu is available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new chicken schnitzel or the delicious Prussian pretzel rolls. Glory Days is open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. If you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them. With PressBox's Project Game Day, I'm Glenn Clark, and I'm with you at halftime of every game. And then I'm joined post-game by a panel of experts, including Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and post-game also at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is just the ref's fault all season long that's press boxes project game day every game day this season brought to you by wise markets and the u.s army if you're looking to make an impact there's no better place to do that than the u.s army whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases develop technologies or seek adventures across the globe the army is where all of that can happen and so much more the army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win ask yourself What's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. 
They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. Good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Go. Le Champion! Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to the Battle Round here on PressBoxOnline.com. Uh, we're coming to you from our press box studios that are unsponsored right now, but that won't last much, much longer. And now is the time of the show where our lovely model, Zach Goodman, shows off our masks. And since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks to celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. PressBox is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter that Zach is beautifully modeling for us right now. Plus a Celebrate 8 Purple Neck Gator honoring the MVP quarterback and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They are not CDC approved, but they're perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams and also while being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. And... With that now in our rear view, Zach, thank you very much for modeling for the third straight week. We're going to jump to the payoff pitch around the league. Garrett Cooper hit a three-run homer in the first for the Marlins, but it was a Jesus Aguilar sack fly in the tenth that lifted the Marlins over the Yankees 4-3 and punched Miami's first ticket to the postseason since 2003 when they defeated the Yankees in the World Series. Joey Wendell singled home two runs in the home half of the eighth to break a 4-4 tie as the Rays left, left the Phillies' playoff hopes looking grim with a 6-4 victory. Freddie Freeman hit a walk-off two-run bomb in the last of the 11th to send the Braves to an 8-7 win over the Red Sox and clinch the number two seed in the National League for the Braves. Trailing 3-1, entering the bottom of the ninth, Cleveland played three runs to walk off the Pirates 4-3 and tie the White Sox for second place in the Central, just a game back of the Twins. Wilson Contreras homered twice and drove in four while also committing the bat flip heard round the world, and Hugh Darvish pitched seven shutout innings as the Cubs crushed the White Sox 10-0. Mike Moustakis homered twice and drove in three as the Reds won for the 10th time in 12 games following a 20-26 start to clinch... Uh, start to the season to clinch their first postseason berth in seven years. In a battle for last place in the AL Central, the Royals outlasted the Tigers 3-2 behind six shutout innings from Brad Keller, who picked up his fifth win while lowering his ERA to 247. Justin Turner hit two home runs, and the Dodgers turned away the Angels 9-5 despite a lackluster effort from Clayton Kershaw. Catcher Sam Huff homered twice for Texas, and yet it was a walk-off fielder's choice off the bat of Joey Gallo that brought home the victory for the Rangers and Extras over the Astros 
5-4. to four. Despite the loss, the Astros clinched their fourth straight postseason appearance with the Angels' loss to the Dodgers. Christian Yelich homered, and the Brewers kept their playoff hopes alive with a 3-0 win over the Cardinals in Game 1 of a twin bill. But St. Louis stormed back to a 9-1 victory in Game 2, behind six one-run, one-hit innings from Daniel Ponce de Leon. Christian Walker homered for Arizona and drove in two, while Zach Gallen fired ten strikeouts in six shutout innings to pick up the win in Game 1 of a doubleheader with the Rockies 4-0. And a six-run first inning was all she wrote in Game 2 as Arizona cruised to a clean sweep 11-5. Kevin Pillar picked up three hits and three RBIs in the loss for the Rockies. Mike Yastrzemski homered and doubled in his first game since September 17th. The Giants beat the Padres 5-4 in Game 1 of their doubleheader. And in the nightcap, Fernando Tatis Jr. hit his 16th homer, and Trent Grisham contributed his 10th along with four RBIs as the Padres managed to split 6-5. And finally, in a game that was scoreless after nine innings, Mark Canna hit a walk-off two-run homer to lift the Athletics over the Mariners 3-1. Before we get to Zach talking about our games for tonight, I want to go over the playoff scenarios here a little bit. There's still a lot to be decided, but in the American League, every team that will be in the playoffs has clinched, but there are still seven seeds up for grabs as Houston clinched the sixth seed last night. Uh, right now, the one seed would be the Tampa Bay Rays. At two would be the Oakland Athletics. Minnesota Twins coming in at three. The Cleveland Indians at four. New York Yankees at five. Houston, as we said, clinched the sixth spot. The White Sox at seven, and the Blue Jays at eight. That central division is going to come down to the last day of the season. It would appear right now the Twins are in first place, but if they lose and the White Sox win, the White Sox leapfrog them as they have a better head-to-head record. If the Indians beat the White Sox, uh, I'm sorry, if the Indians win and the Twins lose and the White Sox lose, the Indians jump into first place or tie for first place, that is to say. If there's a three-way tie at the end of the season, the Twins win. The playoff scenarios for the Central are just so ridiculous and they're mind-numbing. And basically, all the other seeds that haven't been decided yet in the American League are waiting on the Central Division to shake itself out before those seeds get decided. Playoffs do start on September 28th, which is Monday. Uh, Tampa Bay just needs to win one of their last two games to clinch the one seed. However, if they lose both, and Oakland, who plays a doubleheader later today, wins out, they will tie the Rays, but will hold a better intra-division record 28-12 compared to Tampa Bay's 27-13. And thus, they will be the one seed. So both Tampa Bay and Oakland can be the one seed, but Tampa Bay can't be worse than the two seed. Oakland can't be worse than the three seed as the mind-numbing continues. Gets super convoluted after that. So we're going to move to the National League where six of eight teams have clinched. Dodgers have clinched the one seed in the home field throughout the World Series. The Braves have clinched the two seed. Cubs will clinch the three seed with one more win. San Diego has clinched the four seed. Seeds five through eight are still up for grabs. Though currently they go St. Louis at 5, Miami at 6, Cincinnati at 7, San Francisco at 8. The Phillies, Brewers, and Mets are still alive, but the Mets are living on a prayer right now. If the Phillies win out and the Brewers and the, and the Giants lose out, the Phillies are the 8 seed despite that 7-7-1 bullpen ERA. I'm tired. On to Zach with the, today's slate of games. All right, we have the final Saturday games of the regular season. So we're going to start off at 1 o'clock. It's in an interleague matchup with Anderson's Marlins and Judge's Yankees. Moving on to 3 o'clock, an NL East battle for the last place Nationals and the New York Mets. Going on to 4 o'clock, division champ A's battle the Mariners. 6 o'clock games, we have the Mets and the Nats. Uh, that's doubleheader game 2. We have game two of the O's and the playoff-bound Jays. Jays blew them out last night. 
a, Tex a Texas matchup for the Astros and the Rangers at 7 o'clock, a matchup of uh, 2020 draft picks 1 and 4, the Royals and the Tigers. World Series favorite Rays battle the Phillies. The Brewers will visit, visit Bush Stadium to face off against the Cardinals. The North Side and the South Side for the Cubs and the Sox. Uh, another playoff-bound team in the Twins will face off against the Reds. Game 2 of the Mariners and the A's doubleheader. Oh, the wildcard team, the Indians, will face the league-worst Pirates. The last-place Red Sox will battle the Braves, who have clinched their division. And moving on to 8 o'clock, we have two teams in the Rockies and the Diamondbacks, who have really struggled this year. And then at 9 o'clock hour, we have Trout versus Bellinger in the Angels and the Dodgers. And then finally, the electrifying Padres face off against the playoff-bound Giants. Boy, I'll tell you what, man. You mentioned Trout versus Bellinger. It's a fun one. Man. It's, it's, it's a, a fun one. one, but man, Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, the last two MVPs in the National League, both hitting about two fifteen. The home runs are there, but they're 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 not having good years. And now, if this was a hundred and sixty-two game season, those those numbers would kind of get back to norm. But in such a small sample size, neither one of those guys having great years. I think they said that there's going to be eight batters that are going to hit below 200 this year, which is the most since, like, 1935. Uh, just not a great year for hitters this year. I, I thought that the major league leader in home runs was going to somehow hit 25 to 30. It looks like it's going to be Luke Voigt, about 22. About 22, yeah. Yeah, um... Just not not a great year for hitters. Now look, twenty two home runs in sixty games is a hell of an accomplishment. Really, you know? really good. That, that's 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 it works out to over a sixty home, just about a 55, 60 home run season. So that's a great year. Uh, I just really thought that somebody like Aaron Judge was looking like that like that guy who could get seriously hot. He had nine home runs before getting. Uh, I think it was a calf injury. Yeah, he's yeah. had multiple injuries now. Yeah, uh, man. It can't stay off the trainer's table. He's at, just one of those guys, you know, has all the talent in the world but can't stay healthy. At, at what point do the Yankees and their fans say, all right, man, enough's enough. You're not going to trade him. Right. You're not going to get rid of him. But he's hurting his, his uh, free agency. He's not going to get as much money as he would if he was able to stay healthy. 52 home runs in his rookie 2017 campaign, and then he's missed huge chunks of the season in all three seasons since then. Aaron Judge has got to find a way to stay on the field. Maybe they have to DH him, and you love his cannon for an arm out on right field, but if playing the field is causing him to get injured, you really got to consider just keeping him as the DH. Yankees have a lot of contract issues coming up with. Uh, Stanton's got under contract for a while, but you're going to have to look at Gary Sanchez. You're going to have to look at uh, <coughs> excuse me, Aaron Judge, Masahiro Tanaka. A lot of guys whose contracts are going to be coming up, and they have so much money on the books as it is even without those guys. Moving on, talking about the Orioles here. Uh, one of the guys that you and I were talking about a little bit, um, first name Ramon, is that his first name? For Ramon some reason, Urias. Yeah. It, it, was, it was escaping me earlier in the show, and now I remember it's Ramon Urias, Urias, however you want to pronounce the name. 7 for 16 since getting recalled from the ATS uh, earlier this week in four games. And it makes you wonder why we were stuck with Andrew Velasquez for so long the guy couldn't hit his weight although he's a pretty skinny guy so 167 may have been his weight but i mean he hit him well below 200 uh, the defense was okay he made some costly errors there but we had to watch andrew velasquez most of the year has never met as stan said last week has never met a fastball that he can hit and then you have Urias come in Tearing the cover off the ball, playing just as good a defense over there at shortstop, despite that one error he made the other night. 
why didn't we see him the rest earlier on this year? Well, I mean, Ramon Urias is one of those guys who hadn't had a stint in the majors yet. Uh, he made his major league debut for the Orioles, so I think that's partly the reason they wanted a guy who had major league experience. That was Velasquez, even though he really didn't have a great track record. I think he played for a few teams, including the Indians and the Rays, and he did not hit very well for either of them, even worse than he hit for the Orioles. So, you know, I, I think it was an experience thing. And, and I was one of those people who said, okay, sure, give him a shot. He can play all around. But, you know, I, I'm a person who loves super utility guys. But he is not a super utility guy because he literally cannot get a hit in a big situation for his life. I mean, the, the guy is basically worthless <laughs> at the plate. Ramon Urias is a guy who, you know, he got on base a lot in the minors. He played in the Mexican League for a little bit. He has a decent track record as far as hitting goes and, and, and definitely better than Andrew Velasquez. So, you know, he's come up here and he's gone for 7 for 16. Probably not sustainable at this level, but, you know, he's, he's going to be solid. I really think he's going to put himself in that conversation for a utility spot in 2021. Yeah, he certainly hasn't done anything to hurt his calls. Uh, and, you know, with only two games left, even if he goes hitless the last two games, it's, it's quite a stretch for him to end the season. He's ending the season on a positive note. I still think he'll collect a hit or two yeah. uh, to, to end the year. Um, Austin Hayes collecting more than a hit or two. Uh, 356 uh, on, on base percentage approaching 390 since coming off the IL. He went 0 for 5 last night, but he's just been tearing the cover off the ball. He got. He got off to a slow start and then got hit by a pitch, broke his ribs. I had to have changed his approach at the plate, couldn't swing comfortably. Is he back to who we thought he was, or is this just another hot September for Austin Hayes? I think it's a mixture of both. <coughs> I think it's a really bad start that he really got himself into his head, and then he started thinking, okay, I can't do this, I don't belong here. And then he got hurt, and he comes back with full confidence, and he's really tearing the cover off the ball. But, you know, I, I think it's a mixture of both. You know, he's just... He's a good player. He's got all the talent. He's a five-tool guy who can't stay healthy. And it, we'll see about his future value. I'm not sure what it is. But, um, you know, as of right now, he's definitely a better player than Cedric Mullins. In my mind, he's, he's a better player all around. And he's really hot right now. And he does this a lot. He's a very streaky hitter, as are many of the Orioles. So, you know, I, I don't think he'll keep this up at this pace. But he certainly turned his season around, and it's been a pretty good one. Well, yeah, look, if Austin Hayes comes in and hits 265 next year, hits 20 homers, steals 15 bags, and plays a solid center field, you can't really ask for more than that. And that's yeah. Cedric Mullins isn't going to do that. He's not going to hit 265 across a full major league season. He's not going to hit 20 home runs. He might steal 30 bags. He's going to play good defense. Doesn't have the arm that Austin Hayes has. I think that Cedric Mullins is a very nice fourth outfielder. I think that Austin Hayes has the makeup to be an everyday player at some part of the outfield, maybe not center field. I do think that the Orioles' future center fielder just got drafted this year. I think that's Hudson Haskin. He's good. Yeah, that, that's that's a really solid ball player who you, you could see in two or three years. Um, I am excited for what the Orioles' lineup could look like next year when you have a healthy Hayes, Santander, assuming Trey Mancini, assuming Iglesias' option is picked back up. When you get full seasons from Ryan Mountcastle, maybe DJ Stewart DHing a lot, uh, then you're going to have Keegan Aiken, uh, Dean Kramer, John Means, and Alex Cobb as your top four, and no particular, no, not not that particular order in the rotation. You only have one hole to fill in that rotation. Uh, it could be Jorge Lopez. Uh, you're not solo. I'm actually, why don't you go ahead right now and tell me what you saw? about Jorge Lopez and his analytics, because you said they weren't good. 
I want to go back to Austin Hayes real quick, yeah. and I want to talk about some of his splits um, from where he's batting in the lineup because I think that's actually a big thing for him. Where you know, if he bats toward the top of the lineup, he's definitely a lot worse. The bottom of the lineup, in the sixth position, he's batting 275. In the eighth position, he's batting 368. And the ninth position, he's batting 300. But if he's batting first, he's batting 113. Oh wow! So there's a big oh for five from the one spot last night. Right, and he's only six for 53 from the one spot. So that's maybe where Austin Hayes gets goes a little bit awry. But what we do want to talk about Jorge Lopez because he is really, if you go into his analytics on Baseball Savant, which is a really good website if you haven't seen it, Savant, um, and you know if you look at his all of his analytical numbers, they are they are pretty bad. He's in about the first percentile for almost everything from whiff percentage to exit velocities to fastball spin. He's in that those bottom ten of percentiles. He's just not very good analytically wise. And and Alex Cobb is another guy who had these really low numbers as far as baseball savant is concerned. And it kind of caught up to him a little bit in the middle of the season there. So you know it, it, those numbers can really show when it's going to catch up to you, and these hitters are going to figure you out. Yeah, and going into next year, if you're going to have two-fifths of your rotation to have those bad analytics, and at one point somebody said that Alex Cobb was the luckiest pitcher in baseball. He had a sub-four ERA at, this, at that point in the season, but his uh, fielding independent ERA was something like 7-10. Yeah. Um, so it was Alex Cobb kind of smoking mirrors a little bit this year. It would seem, although his last two starts were very good. We talked about that in the opening of the show. Um, I'm interested to see if, if Alex Cobb is your fourth starter. Uh, I think, like I said earlier today, he matches up pretty well with most teams' fourth starters. That guy, ha- ha- he just knows how to pitch. He yeah, knows yeah. how to pitch, right? Then it's it's he's had a lot of success at the major league level in his career. Starting to see glimpses of that. You saw glimpses of it in his last eleven starts, where he had like a two six seven ERA his first year in Baltimore, uh, and you're seeing it now with the last two starts of the year, ending his season on a really high note. Thirteen innings pitched, three earned runs, his last two starts. I think he, he he's a good fourth starter. Definitely not the guy you want to have starting on opening day. That's going to John Means. John Means has looked like an ace his last four starts, especially the start on Sunday where he struck out 12 in, what, five and two-thirds innings. Really looked fantastic. There, nine of those 12 strikeouts were on fastballs, and those fastballs averaged 93, 94 miles an hour. So really nice to see from John Means. Um Orioles have a lot of question marks at third base, second base. Uh, we mentioned the starting rotation a little bit there. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the offseason. Stan and I agree, that, and I think Zach, you're on the same page with us, that next season they're going to be focused more on wins than they have been in e- any of the last two years of this rebuild uh, because some guys have come up, like Mountcastle, Stewart, Kramer, Aiken, and they've showed that they belong, and they're key pieces of the future. So I think that they're going to put more of an emphasis on winning next year. It'll be interesting to see how they handle Alberto at second and Ruiz at third. John Mioli seems to think that Ruiz is going to get the first crack at sticking at third base. Same thing with Alberto at second, but that remains to be seen. We're going to have Ken Wyman here on the show in just a, in just a moment. But before that, I was actually going to tell you a little bit about our press box print edition. Yeah, the latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Bo Smoko profiles potential breakout Ravens star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow South Florida native. Also inside, Bill Ordine helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba. And Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long-term. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily 
daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBox.com. This is the new edition. Lamar Jackson, Hollywood Brown. Great one. All right. Thank you so much for that live read there, Zach. And on the line with us right now is uh, Ken Wyman of 105.7 Fans Inside Access. Ken, how are you on this uh, wonderful Saturday here in Baltimore? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys doing? We're doing pretty well, doing pretty well. Uh, this is our final regular season show before we ramp up for the playoffs and for our off-season shows. Uh, Ken, what have you seen from the Orioles season that has you the most excited going into the off-season? Well, I think this year it's about seeing some guys that I think are a part of the future when they get this thing turned around. And guys like Anthony Santander, uh, Dean Kramer, his last start notwithstanding. Uh, I've been impressed with Keegan Aiken. They've got a bunch of good young arms in the bullpen. They traded a bunch of bullpen guys, and they still have a lot of good young arms in the bullpen. So those are the kind of things. Austin Hayes, I've been excited about that. Cedric Mullins looks like, at the very least, he could be a, a fourth outfielder. He's a great defensive outfielder. I'm not sure about the hitting, but uh, that there's been things that, that those those pieces look like they're starting to come together. So as far as, the, you know, I always say the hardest part of a rebuild is actually living through the rebuild. But uh, there there are some pieces now that you can that I feel like you can look forward to being here when this thing is turned around. Well. And I'm glad that you mentioned that about a rebuild being tough because it seems like with these these younger players that have come up and showed that they belong this year, that this rebuild may be starting to get on the other side of the hump a little bit. I mean, this team started 12-8. and eight. They were right in the thick of the playoff uh, picture. Then you had injuries to Santander, Iglesias, Hayes. Um, John Means was pretty ineffective until his last four starts. Going to yeah. get to start tonight. And this is all done without Trey Mancini. I feel like this team may have had real postseason uh, uh, potential this season, just in this truncated season, had the ball bounced their way in a lot of those situations. Yeah, I think they made an expanded postseason. Heck, I didn't mention Ryan Mountcastle, who has been amazing since he came up. And, and yes, no Trey Mancini this year. Uh, and he'll be back next year. Now, Santander, which going into last night's game when he got hurt, he led the team in RBIs. Going into last night, he still led the team in RBIs. So that tells you where they are as far as an offense. And for a long time this year, uh, Jose Iglesias, when he played shortstop, the team was over 500. So he was a, definitely a calming influence on the infield. I, I don't, you know, is it about making the playoffs? I, I guess. And in this kind of weird season, that would have been fun. We see the Marlins did it in the National League, which, you know, everything they went through with losing 18 guys to COVID and then coming back, and, and now they're in the playoffs. It would have been fun. Uh, I, I'm I'm looking more towards, and I, and I like uh, what Michael Elias and Sig Meidel and that staff are doing, and I love what they did in Houston. And we can talk about the cheating and all, but what they're really good at, what they're really good at is player development and figuring and finding guys like a Jorge Lopez who could be a part of the future. And then they plucked him out and they liked his spin rate and and now he looks like hey, he didn't pitch well last night, but I've yeah. seen some positives from him. And and yeah, that they if they stayed healthy, they'd have had half a shot at the playoffs. Uh, I, I don't. I, I'd rather when they get there think of them as a legit contender. But yeah, that would have been fun in this weird COVID twenty twenty season. Hey, Ken, this is Zach Goodman. Um, and obviously the Orioles made a lot of big trades at the trade deadline. And do you think that if they had held on to some of those players, the postseason outlook would have been a little bit different for them? Possibly, but 
you can't get you you can't lose the long term goal uh, it, when if you're Michael Elias. So if you can flip uh, Tommy Malone for a couple of players, you do it. If you can flip somebody else for players, you do it. You know, uh, 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 Miguel Castro. So I have no problem with what they did because I don't think the goal was getting the eighth seed in the American League in 2020. I think the goal is building a, a, a team that will be a consistent winner. Uh, so, uh, yes, it could have possibly helped, but uh, I think they did the right thing. Now, with with that in mind, Ken, heading into the off season, and uh, you and uh, and your co-host Jason Lockenfora and I were kind of all on the same page. I didn't call into your show or anything, but I was thinking about this, and you guys immediately started talking about it on Inside Access. Um, the Orioles' biggest needs heading into the off season, and it was mentioned on your show uh, that they may not be looking to Rio Ruiz at third base and Hanser Alberto at second base. I really think that, it, that the time has come to move on from at least Rio Ruiz over at third base. Well, I think in both cases, you, there's a there's something missing. So with Ruiz, I thought he was a really good third baseman, and he's I think he's taking his at-bats into the field because he's really suffered yeah. at third base this year, uh, and the bat is just not consistent with, consistent. with Alberto, he's a really good guy to have on a team, but he's a slap-hitting second baseman that lacks power, and his glove is average at best. And his arm is average at best. Right. And so, so you're looking at a guy that when you get to the point where you, I don't know that you can win with that guy playing second base every day. Now, is the second baseman next year Richie Martin, which I think I would have loved to have seen him be the second baseman this year, and then unfortunately he got hurt uh, because his glove is plus. And him and Iglesias, assuming Iglesias stays healthy in the middle of the infield, would have been a much better defensive uh double play combination than what the, what you have with Alberto there every day. But, yeah, I think in both situations, and they really don't have anybody, is it Ryland Bannon? Is it like the right. guys they have in, in the, in the uh, system, I don't think they have anybody that's close. So do they go sign an Iglesias type this offseason? Because let, let's face it, they're not signing, you, you and I both know they're not signing anybody to like a, a five-year deal. That's not where they are right now. So right. do they... Do they sign a placeholder to, to help them defensively with a decent stick until somebody's ready? That That's going to be one of the interesting questions they had this offseason. Well, yeah, and actually we just had John Mioli on the show a, a little bit ago, and we I, I mentioned Scooter Jeanette, who's a free agent right now. He didn't play this year. He was injured most of last year, but in 2017 and 2018, uh, 2018 he was an all-star. He had 25-plus homers, drove in over 80, and he hit right around 290 both of those years, and that could be a guy like like you mentioned, like Iglesias, yeah. who the Orioles sign, it's a, kind of a buy-low situation, and then maybe he bridges a gap, and at the very least, he plays well enough that you can trade him at the deadline. Sure, and, and I can see I can see something like that, absolutely. Uh, it, you know, if Alex Cobble would have pitched well this year, they probably would have looked to trade him at the deadline. You, you know, that's, and, and that's the tough part when guys do well, when they're in this mode, and, and your, your co-host asked me the question a minute ago about making those trades. That's who they are right now. They're trying to build up the 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 depth in the organization for when they're good. And the, the, the guys like Gunnar Henderson and a couple of kids they drafted this year, those are the guys they're hoping 
will be in the infield later. And then they, they picked up the kids from Colorado that maybe could be part of things sooner. But, you know, they, their infield in the organization, it's all at the lower level. So, yeah, a guy like Jeanette would be perfect to bridge the gap. Now, whether they want to make a move like that remains to be seen because they do still have Hanser Alberto. And like you said, he, he fits this team for what they're trying to do right now. I do think that next year there's going to be more of an emphasis on winning. Uh, and with that in mind, Ken, what do you think that this team is capable of in 2021, assuming the health of uh, Mancini, Santander, and Hayes, and assuming they pick up the option on Jose Iglesias? Well, it all depends on the pitching, right? right. It, 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 if Dean Kramer is who we saw taking his last start out of the equation, that guy looks like he can be a, a starter in the major leagues. If Keegan Aiken is, is what we saw, he, he's the starter in the major leagues. John Means, it looks like. And, and, and I feel bad for John. His father passed away. He had injury issues. I don't think he was ever right until the last few starts. So you've got three, guys, three young guys right there. Uh, I liked what I saw in the bullpen appearance by Bruce Zimmerman. I, I can't imagine what it was like to make his first career start and uh, the nerves going on there. So I, I want to give him a mulligan on that. If Cobb is back, he's the veteran. If they want to re-sign a Tommy Malone type for a year and then flip him again, I'm good with that. But if they get, their bullpen's going to be fine, assuming health. If they can get starting pitching, then then they can be a team that 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 sort of messes around and gets, you know, a 162-game season, they can mess around and be about 500, I think, which, which to me is a win and shows you a trajectory that, that things going up. Oh, it's, that's, that's huge uh, for the Orioles if in year three of the rebuild they're a 500 team. Yeah, and, and Ken, you mentioned the bullpen being so good, and another one of those guys that has really shown out this year compared to previous years is Evan Phillips. Uh, what, what do you kind of see from him and, and his future value for the Orioles? So I'm not a huge Evan Phillips guy. He's up and down for me. Uh, I'm more excited about, uh, like, I want to see guys like Matson and Pop, who uh, they Pop coming off the Tommy John, but I, I, I'd love to see Hunter Harvey stay healthy for a year. Uh, but I like some, I loved what I saw from Dylan Tate until they just shut him down. Evan Phillips to me is kind of an up and down guy for me, and and you know I I think he's a a decent middle relief guy. But they they have so many guys, young arms that throw hard. I, I think that that they they're going to be just fine bullpen wise, and I, I think. I think Mike Elias knew that when he traded Gibbons and, and Castro and uh, and Blyer. They knew that they had uh, depth of arms in the system. Well, yeah, the bullpen has definitely been a bright spot on, on a team that's had, uh, honestly, they've had a lot of bright spots in, 20, yeah. in 2020. Tanner Scott has, has become the yes. pitcher that we all thought that he could be, uh, really refined that, that delivery from the stretch and is throwing a lot more strikes right now. Hunter Harvey is who we thought he was. He's, he's, he's pitching well, and when he started throwing his split finger, he talked to his pitching coach, and Brokale told him, you need to throw your split finger fastball like a fastball. And since he started doing that, the strikeout numbers are back. Uh, Dylan Tate, like you mentioned, I, I really think uh, Sean Armstrong. We, nobody ever talks yeah. about Sean, Sean Armstrong. Paul Fry. And Paul Fry. These guys have all had really nice bounce-back years after that debacle that was 2019. Really nice to see. The, I think the club's improved its overall ERA by about a run, which is huge in a rebuild. You want to look at the starting rotation, Ken, and uh, you mentioned some of these guys are going to be here next year. There's one spot that really seems like it's open 
Uh, and you did talk a little bit about Jorge Lopez. Really bad start last night. Uh, you said maybe they could sign a free agent like Tommy Malone. What do you think the Orioles are going to do about that fifth spot in the rotation, assuming you have you have Aiken, Kramer, uh, Cobb, and Means in the other four? So I, I, it would not shock me to see them sign. You remember last year they signed two guys. They signed yeah. LeBlanc and they signed uh, Malone. And Le, actually LeBlanc had the better first start. Remember Malone was a disaster on opening oh, yeah. night. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, Malone turned out to be legit, and they flipped him for two prospects. Uh, I think they could do that, or that there there might be a guy like a Bruce Zimmerman who they they based on what they and we have to assume that things get back to some sort of normalcy, so we can have some offseason programs and have some sort of camps and, and and see these guys and have a spring training. They might give Zimmerman a shot at that fifth spot, uh, or or someone else could impress one of the. the Guys like D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez are, are at least probably a year plus away, but I think that a guy like Zimmerman could get a shot at it, or they could go the, the one-year route once again. And the guys know, veteran pitchers know, if they come here and they pitch well, they could get flipped like Malone did to a contender. Well, yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall because this shutdown this year really impacted their development from the standpoint of D.L. Hall was in, I believe now, his this would have been his fourth season, third or fourth season mm-hmm. in the Orioles minor league organiza- minor league system, and he's never thrown more than 90 innings. Grayson Rodriguez yeah. has one full professional season under his belt, uh, and that th- this shutdown, there's no mistake, it's going to stunt their growth and their expectation of when, we can, of when they're going to be here because they lost an entire season. Yeah, yes. Well, the one caveat I'll give is the guys that were in Bowie, and obviously we none of us know what's going on there, mm-hmm. but obviously it's having an effect because, you know, look at what Mountcastle's done when, once he finally came up. Look at what some of the other guys who have gone down there and come back up. Something's going on there. They're getting work in. Who do we have? I'm trying to think. Uh, I, we had Rushman on, but we had somebody else who was talking about what goes. They, they play simulated games all the time, and granted it's not the same as actual games, but whatever's going on in Bowie, they're getting work in, and it's helping them some. But yes, not playing in minor league games, it, it's not the same as minor league games. And uh, it, But but the, the only good thing is this is happening all over baseball. So That's every true. team is dealing with the same situation. It's, it's not just the Orioles. But yeah, it, it's a shame. It's a shame for, for minor league baseball as a whole, because remember, minor league baseball doesn't have the, the money that major league baseball has, and minor league baseball can't play games without fans, and that a lot of these teams aren't owned, most of these teams aren't owned by the major league clubs, and they work year to year, and it, it's not a cash cow, and I, I'm worried that some of these teams are, are if they don't get the small business loans, we might have teams that, that are gone when they come back next year. Ken, do you have thoughts on the major league and minor league realignment plan that will eliminate all of those minor league teams and become one baseball? Do you have thoughts on that? Uh, it's a shame. I get it financially. It, it, there's too. I think what they're trying to cut out are the guys that you know. You've got these guys that hang on, and you've got that extra level of minor leagues, and it's guys that I guess just love baseball, but really don't have a chance at the majors. The problem is. You know, you have guys, like, what was Mike Piazza, like a 40th round pick, something like that? Those guys, if you take out a level, you can make the argument those kind of guys won't get here. Uh, I I am someone who loves baseball, so I'm not going to say no to more baseball, but financially, I I sort of get where they're coming from, but it wasn't, 
I didn't like the way they approached it. This is this was all going on, as you know, before the pandemic. Uh, so they were trying to cut before, and you know that they Major League Baseball. What did they just sign a a five hundred million million dollar a year deal with TBS to continue with baseball? Yeah, they're not hurting for money, and you, the local TV money is where it's at. So uh, uh, it, this was all looking to to try to cut cut corners in some places. I don't like it, but I understand it. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that. We 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 understand it. Don't have to like it. And for guys like us who love baseball, it's it's a shame to not. It's a shame for these communities like the Frederick Keys. The, the mm-hmm. Frederick Keys are the most likely team to 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 be gone from the Orioles system, and they are huge for that community out there in Frederick. And it, it, the impact it's going to have on, on that community out there, I, I think, can't be understated. No, I lived out near that area for for a few years, so I get it. Uh, and it's a nice little ballpark. There's something special about going to a minor league ballpark. You're closer to the action. I'm interested to see when the dust settles, how everything realigns. So just where they put teams and what happens, what happens to some of these leagues, how things are readjusted. But I, I have not even seen – I've seen like Baseball America has done some, some guesswork, but I've not seen Major League Baseball put out anything yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It seems like uh, Rob Manfred is, is hell-bent on – um, retracting some of these teams. So we'll see how that goes. Now, Ken, before we let you go today, and we certainly appreciate you coming on the program today, um, we play a little game here. It's You you work for 105.7, so you know that Jeremy and Scott used to do this thing called Pick to Click uh, on yeah. their show. Well, we do a, a game that we call Take to Rake. Since we are a, a once-a-week show, we pick a player from the Orioles that we think is going to rake for the entire week. Now, there's only two games left in the season. So this week, we're going to do a player that we think is going to rake for the last two games, but we're also going to pick one player each uh, from a from a postseason bound team that's already that's definitely in the playoffs that we think is going to have a big opening series uh, in the playoffs. And with that in mind, Ken, we're going to let you pick first. Our guests are on a bit of a roll. They actually lead the overall series uh, with three wins. We're going to let you pick your Orioles player first and your playoff player first. My Orioles player is going to be Austin Hayes, who going into last night was, I think, 12 for his last 24. So I'll I'll, I'll go with Austin Hayes. I, I like what I've seen from him. Late. I think the issue with Austin Hayes is health. If that guy could ever yeah. stay healthy, I think he could be a special player. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he's having a big September just like he did last year, and I really think that that broken rib um, hindered his approach at the plate because since he's come back, he's just been absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. So you're on the board with Austin Hayes. Who are you taking as a playoff performer this coming week? I'm going to go with a guy that had, that I think is going to win the National League MVP, and, and I'm still mad at him, even though it's not his fault, but I'll go with Manny Machado. I'm glad you said that because I think Manny deserves to win the National League MVP, too. There's a solid argument to be made for Freddie Freeman, but Manny sure. put up an MVP season on, one, on arguably the most exciting team in baseball. So I... Uh, I like the Manny Machado pick. So uh, you're on the board with Austin Hayes and Manny Machado. And since we have you on the line, Zach, you did not get off the off. You did not get on the board last week. Uh, Matt Kremnitzer took Austin Hayes last week. He gets the win. Hayes had a big, big week, and I took Iglesias. He played three games all week, and you took Ryan Mountcastle, who had no extra base hits, even though he did hit over 300 for the week. Um, so that means that actually, I'm going to let you pick second anyway. Go ahead, Zach, because you had a better uh, prediction for the Ravens game. I'm going to go with Jose Iglesias. I'm, I'm saying he's st- going to stay hot. Hopefully he plays, and hopefully he's healthy, and I'm going to go with Jose. 
And I'm going to take the easy one here. I'm going to go Ryan Mountcastle because he hasn't homered in a while, and I think he gets one in the last game or two. His first two big league home runs came in Buffalo. That's where the Orioles are playing. So I think it's going to be Ryan Mountcastle. Ken, thank you so much for joining the show and for indulging us by playing Take the Rake. We certainly appreciate it. No worries, guys, anytime. All right, man, you have a good one. You too. See you. All right, that was Ken Wyman joining us here on one. Uh, he's on 105.7 The Fan. He joined us here on the Bat Around today. Appreciate him letting us uh, make our picks with him still on the lines. It only seemed fair since he... Uh, oh, you know what we didn't do? We didn't pick our playoff players yet. So we're going to yeah. take a break. When we come back, we're going to pick our playoff players to rake. Uh, and then we're going to close things out. Uh, this is the Bat Around on Press Box Online. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Pressbox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Need your fantasies fulfilled, or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? I'm Ken Zalis, and if you missed it, I was Fantasy Pro's number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country last year. And I'm with you every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the PressBox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, or watch the show and get your fantasy questions in at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. That's the PressBox Fantasy Football Show with me, Ken Zalis, every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by C. CBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. Baltimore's favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders' carryout menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891 or visit slidersbaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at Sliders. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. 
with competitive pricing and an AM Best A- financial strength rating. It's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit ceiwc.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka profiles potential breakout Ravens star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow South Florida native. Also inside, Bill Ordeen helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba, and Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long term. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, we're back to close the bat around in our final regular season show before we enter the playoffs and the Orioles off season. Special thanks to our guests, Stan the Fan Charles, John Mioli of the Baltimore Sun, and Ken Wyman of Inside Access on 105.7 The Fan. All did excellent jobs, all had excellent segments. Certainly appreciate them coming out and coming on and helping us local boys out with our own little show here. Um, special thanks to Glenn Clark, who gave me a free round of golf at um, one of five area locations. I think I'm going to choose um, Pine Ridge. I haven't. I was actually thinking about playing there the other day. Haven't played there in a couple of years. I enjoy it, so I'm probably going to get myself out there. It doesn't expire till April 30th, 2021, so I have a little bit of time. And you know, speaking of Glenn Clark. Every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer uh, bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Ravens wide receiver Devin Duvernay, ESPN's Dick Vitale, love that guy, and former Governor Bob Ehrlich and more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. Zach, what you got for me over there? Well, if you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to be at least with each other virtually to talk about them with PressBox's Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime of every game, and he's joined post-game by a panel of experts, which includes Ken Zalas and the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at facebook.com slash pressboxsports and post-game at pressboxonline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is the ref's fault all season long. Monday night, Glenn and KZ are uh, with you for Baltimore's big game against Kansas City. That's Press Box's Project Game Day, every game day this season, brought to you by Wise Markets and the U.S. Army. Wonderfully well done. Thank you, Zach. We certainly appreciate that. Now, we do have to pick our playoff uh, performers for Take to Rake. Um, We talked about this during the break, so I'm just going to go ahead and give mine because we have two different players. I am taking... Um, oh my God! What's his first name? Justin, Justin Turner. Oh my gosh! You can tell I didn't get much sleep last night. I'm taking Justin Turner. I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like Turner. What's his first name? It's Justin Turner. Uh, he had two big home runs last night for the Dodgers in their win, uh, and I re- over the Angels. And I really think that he's a big time playoff performer. So I'm taking him for this week's slate of games. Who you got? 
I'm going to go with Jose Ramirez of the Cleveland Indians. Okay. I think Jose Ramirez is going to have a big day and they're and they're a big series, I should say, because he is really hot over the last seven days. I looked it up and he's the second best hitter in baseball of the last seven days. I expect him to stay hot, so I'll go with Jose Ramirez. All right, and the Indians do still have a shot at first place in the Central. They still have a shot at the two seed as and as far down as the uh, seven or seven seed. So. Uh, the Indians, they could have a favorable matchup or a non-favorable matchup. Jose Ramirez is a big-time performer as it is, so that's a really solid pick there. Now, Zach, last week I did tell you that if you – because, you know, you hadn't you hadn't picked up a win since early on. I told you that if you picked the uh, closest Ravens score and the best primetime performer for them, that uh, I would let you have the win over me. Unfortunately, I didn't win this week. You didn't win this week either. Matt Kremnitzer won, and I can't take the win away from Matt. I can't do it. So the final tally for the regular season, well, the final tally will be next week. But right now, as it stands, guests have won three. Eric Arditi, Glenn Clark, and Matt Kremnitzer. And actually, two weeks in a row, the guest has won. I've won two. Our part-time co-host, uh, Vasilios, has won two. Zach, you've only won one. That did not change this week, unfortunately. However... You did say that the Ravens were going to win 37 to 17. They won 33 to 16. So you were very close. I said 45 to 20. So you smoked me in that one. Your player of the game was Lamar Jackson. I had I had Patrick Queen actually. Oh, you did. I thought I, I thought you said Lamar. No, I had Patrick Queen. I had Patrick Queen. He but, did lead the team in tackles. He didn't do anything spectacular, but he played very well. Um, I took. I think it was Mark Ingram. Yeah, you did take Mark and Ingram. And Mark Ingram had eight carries for 58 yards and a touchdown. So I guess kind of a wash there. I had the better performer, uh, though Queen did play well, but you had the closer score. So kind of a wash anyway. Big game between the Ravens. Wow, that's like my second voice crack on the show today. Big game between the Ravens and the Chiefs this Monday. Red meat and football. Um, so it's Ravens taking on the Chiefs on Monday Night Football. Just the third Monday Night Football home game for the Ravens in the John Harbaugh era. They finally get a home Monday Night Football game. They finally get the Chiefs at home after playing them on the road the last two years and losing both of those games. So, of course, there is no there are no fans allowed at the stadium on Monday. That being said, I think the Ravens have a chip on their shoulder. And honestly, uh, another shameless self-plug, I do the football frenzy. It's a you know, run-of-the-mill Ravens podcast that I like to do in my spare time. And I was looking at the matchup. And I think that the that the offenses maybe the Chiefs have a little bit of an edge, but I think the Ravens are better in every other category. I think they're better in every other category. I think they're the better football team. Uh, I got the Ravens winning this one, 34-31. I think it's going to come down to believe it or not, a Harrison Bucker missed field goal. I think that they were all these Chiefs fans. Maybe I'm, I don't think it. Maybe I just hope it. All these Chiefs fans were talking about how Bucker made three 58-yard field goals. He's a better kicker than Tucker. He's not a better kicker than Justin Tucker. So well, I think it would be poetic if he misses it. If, if they don't remember last year from the Chiefs game, he actually missed a, a, a multiple field goals. He's missed many, many extra points. So he's he's not Tucker. No, no one's Tucker. Tucker's the most accurate kicker of all time. You know, Harrison Bucker's not quite there. But that being said, he's a great kicker, and you know their their special I, teams unit just isn't quite the Ravens. Well, I, I, I do think that Justin Tucker is number one and Harrison Bucker is number two. They are the top two kickers in the league. There's no getting around that. I just think that Tucker Tucker is otherworldly. He's a freaking alien, man. But So Ravens, I think, are going to win this game 34-31. A guy who didn't get a lot of touches last week is going to be my player of the game. I think the Ravens were hiding J.K. Dobbins. I think that they're going to really unleash him. I think he's going to get 
15, 20 touches and over 120 yards of offense and find his way into the into the end zone once or twice. What do you think is going to happen in this game on Monday night? Yeah, I love the pick of J.K. Dobbins because you know he's so versatile in the passing game. He can he can play all around. But um, I, I'm going to give it a, a Baltimore edge of of 31 to 28. I think again it's going to come down to a field goal. It's going to be a close game throughout. Probably even closer in the second half. You know, one of these teams might get out to an early lead. I don't see Kansas City's defense really being able to stop Lamar Jackson. They've had some injuries. Uh, my player of the game is going to be Mark Andrews. So I'm going to go with you know our, our tight end and. It, it, it all comes down to whether the Ravens can stop Travis Kelsey. I think that's the biggest point in this game, and Tyreek Hill is obviously tough to contain too, but I, I do think the Ravens will pull this one out in a close game. I agree that Kelsey could be a problem, but I think they've been having, they, had, they were putting Anthony Averett in the slot last week, right? and I think that what they're going to do this week is keep him there, and I think Jimmy Smith's going to be covering Travis Kelsey a lot this week. So, guys, thanks for indulging us here on the Battle Round while we talk about football to close out a baseball show. We love the Ravens. It's the biggest game of the year, so thanks for letting us talk about it a little bit. Not like you really had the choice of, <laughs> of making a stop. You could have turned us off, I guess. But if you st- stuck around and listened to our to our little Ravens talk, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Battle Round this Saturday, uh, September 26th, last regular season show of the year. We will be with you every Saturday from here on out, uh, next week we're going to talk about playoffs, and then it's all off-season shows. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you very, very soon. Take care, everybody.